Welcome to Risking Enchantment, a podcast about art, beauty, and the Catholic faith. Hosted by Rachel Sherlock. Hello and welcome to Risking Enchantment. I'm your host, Rachel Sherlock, and for this episode, I'm joined by Maria Connolly. Hello. And uh, Maria was with us for the first episode, which feels like it was ages ago because we recorded it way back in like mid-November. Yeah, I think after Christmas everything feels like ages ago. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And we recorded that for the first episode and then I feel like we had a big break between Christmas and now. But since we've got Maria back, I thought that this was a fantastic opportunity to do a podcast on Maria's favourite ever topic in the entire world. I think you could safely say that that's true. It is my favourite ever topic. So so much so that Maria was afraid to suggest it as a topic. And so she (laughs) suggested some other things. And I was like, or we could like, you know, do something on the topic of this podcast, which is living the liturgical year. And I said, oh, really? Of course. No problem. (laughs) You really want to do that, Rachel. I'm fine with that. And we're recording this just at the end of January. Um, which, as we're going to find out, January is not the start of the year for Catholics, mm-hmm. but there is that kind of renewal in January, which is the start of the new calendar year. Yeah. So I think it's a really nice opportunity to sort of take stock and look at the year ahead and see how, like, what changes we're going to make and how we could be better living out our Catholic faith and in our families and in our home lives. So, yeah, that's the topic of this week's podcast, which is going to be how to best live the liturgical life and why that's important and what it means. Yeah, and I'm very excited about this topic um, because I've always loved it, but also because I'm just finishing reading a book that I'm sure many of you have read or have heard of um, that came out just a little while ago by Kendra Tierney. She's a Catholic blogger in the States, um, a mother, and I think she homeschools some of her younger kids and her older kids go to school. But she's come out with a book that's published by Ignatius Press called The Catholic All-Year Compendium, Liturgical Mm -hmm. Living for Real Life. And I found this book amazing and incredibly helpful and really easy to read. Um, If you remember, I have a one and a half year old at home. So reading for me is kind of a bit of a challenge, a struggle at the moment. You're you're not going to take on War and Peace? No, no, not at the moment. Um, I'm reading in like five minute chunks over my breakfast when she's shoveling porridge into her mouth. That's the only time I've got that's like quiet enough to read. So I highly recommend this book to anyone. If you're starting a family, if you're hoping to have a family in the future, or if you just want to live the liturgical year yourself. Yeah. um, it's also a really beautiful book, which helps, <laughs> yeah. um, which I mean, I think is actually important because I think a lot of uh, liturgical living is about bringing beauty into your right, homes and yeah. re- reflecting the, the beauty of the seasons within, right. within your life, or within your homes. And um, with that, giving meaning to the beauty that surrounds us and, yeah. and taking things that we already do in our daily lives mm-hmm. and maybe attaching a significance or a meaning to them, which yeah. is something that's incredibly Catholic. Yeah. Because, I mean, look at our faith full of symbols and um, yeah. liturgical things. Like everything around us is supposed to symbolize or make us think of or bring us to some reality that's higher than ourselves. And... That's why I find this so exciting. Because as I was saying to Rachel when I first got to her house today, 
I am an incredibly material person. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but like the theme song of my life is like, okay, I'm not going to sing the Barbie song, but yeah, like I like material not, stuff. Not material girl from Madonna. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't going to sing that. I promise. <laughs> but, but no, I am a material person and yeah. I often find myself focusing on the material yeah. um, to the detriment of focusing on the spiritual yeah yeah well i think i think the catholic faith has that unique ability to tie those two things together right. it's it's a both and religion so right. we get to do both and, and i know we can fall into making the material making say the liturgical trappings the most important thing yeah and that's a pitfall that we have to watch out for when we're trying to live liturgically mm-hmm. you know get so obsessed about having your candles ready to get blessed for candlemas that you forget the fact that you're meant to be you know offering yourself to God in the same way that Mary yeah. offered Jesus in the temple. Like there, there are limits, you know, <laughs> but I think these things are amazing because they acknowledge our humanity and they help us in our humanity to reach the divinity in some ways, yeah. like reach up towards the divinity anyway. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I think <laughs> we better backtrack a little bit and do a kind of explanation of what the liturgical year is. If anyone hasn't heard or like, They've heard it, but they don't really know what that means in practice. So you so. might think, you know, it's the it's the responses in mass. Yeah. And that's a bit boring. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> it feels a bit boring, you know. Um, mass is never boring. No, 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 I know. But it can feel a little bit like, you know, the liturgical rubrics, yeah. you know, like a little um, bit academic or a little bit out of our, out of touch with our realities. So Maria, do you want to give a bit of an explanation about what living liturgically means? Yeah. So basically as Catholics, I think we have a very different worldview than the rest of society. Well, we knew we had a different worldview <laughs> than the rest of society, but I think our, our understanding of time is different from the average modern person. I think like since the enlightenment, and earlier than that, like kind of since the scientific revolution, people see time as something progressive, as something linear, going forwards, always pushing, always trying to, you know, advance along the t- line of time and never to yeah. return. And maybe the past is something that's seen as something dark, you know, the idea of the dark ages. Yeah, my least favorite phrase. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that the other day. <laughs> really bugs Rachel. I mean, it should though, because yeah. I mean... There's not that much that's too dark about the Middle Ages. Like, yeah. obviously, every time period has its problems. But yeah. anyway, but, yeah, that's another think, topic for another day. <laughs> but I think that's a really good point. I think we really think of... Uh, in, in some ways, there's that whole movement of mindfulness, which is trying to bring people into the present. Because I think it's interesting to think how we don't really live in any time. We sort of live in the future, which right. doesn't exist. Right. Or we dwell on the past, which kind of also doesn't exist if we don't actually bring it into a reality in the present. If, if you're just thinking about what happened before and don't actually like commemorate it or celebrate it anyway, that doesn't really exist either. And everyone's too busy and too stressed to live in the present. So mm-hmm. you're sort of almost living outside of time and just yeah. in your own head. And it's always based, it, like we're always focusing ourselves on when I can, when things will be better, when I get yeah. rich, I will do, I find myself doing that yeah. a lot. You know, when we have more money, when I am smarter or holier or um more I have more time to do things <laughs> my one yeah. girl isn't shoveling porridge into her mouth anymore you or, know or you can get really caught I find I often get caught in the feeling that like 
you know, my life has had a certain amount of repetition up to this point, so it's never going to change. Mm. And like, I think especially parents, with, parents of young children can feel like that. Like, <laughs> it's going to be this way forever. Uh, I will always be changing diapers. Yes. <laughs> or, uh, or like, you know, from my perspective, I've been I've been out of university for a couple of years and just working, and I've had different jobs, and that is a certain change in itself. But on another level, I go to work, I come home, I have my friends. Like, there's there's not like a substantial change that happens in those times so it just feels like okay well then this is life forever right. and also I, I I remember being a small child and hearing adults talk about how a year is so fast and it just goes by so quickly and getting really annoyed because I was like no it doesn't people are just wrong who who could ever think that a year goes by really quickly because when you're a kid it feels like the longest portion of time that you could amount to anything I, I used to see my cousins once a year and saying goodbye was so devastating because you were like I'm just not going to see them for a whole year and now I find myself like almost like phoning up friends and being like yeah I can see you like next year <laughs> <laughs> I guess if it's December that's <laughs> but like even you know like maybe not a whole year but you can say like I'll see you four months in four months yeah. time and that does feel like that will go by really quickly or that a month is almost such an insignificant amount of time to measure by yeah. that it goes by really quickly so I think what's interesting about the liturgical year is that it tries to take stock of each year as it's happening and to not try to rush you along to the next bit right and that's kind of where I think we are different from today's society instead mm -hmm. of looking forward or being stuck in the past or not properly living the present the liturgical year is a huge gift that the church gives us um well that Jesus really gives us um through the church which is being able to be present in the most important moments of all time which mm -hmm. are the moments of our salvation yeah. through the mysteries of the life of Christ and the life of Mary and the lives of the saints. I mean, mostly focusing on the life of Christ, obviously. But being able to be physically, really, truly present in those moments through the liturgy, mm -hmm. through the celebrations that we celebrate as Catholics, the periods of time that we live, such as Advent or Lent, of preparation or yeah. purification and and... I think, and I think it would be good just to do like a little recap for anyone who doesn't know, like for Catholics, we have, I, I'm going to definitely mess this up because I'm definitely going to miss out on some of them, but we have different um, periods of time in the Catholic, uh, Catholic year. The, the year starts with the first Sunday of Advent, which is normally around late November, maybe early December. Uh, and that's the start of the year. And so then you have the first season, which is Advent. And then you have the second season, which is Christmas and the Christmas season. And then you go into something called ordinary time, which is what it sounds like. It's <laughs> it's it's not specifically a time of feasting or fasting. It's, it's ordinary time. And then we move into Lent. Uh, and then we have the Easter season. And then we have a long stretch of ordinary time kind of from the summer until... Is there another one between Advent? No, those are the main seasons. And yeah. inside of ordinary time, we have lots of feast days or yeah. celebrations of different mysteries of the life of Christ. Or or, or the... also, I find, I maybe I should have looked this up before we started, but I do know a good few of them, that each month you'll find has a specific focus. So one mm. of the famous ones is May is, the, is a month for Mary. Now, Mary actually has quite a few different... <laughs> capacities and throughout the year where um there's different focuses so i think actually january is the month of mary the mother of god um october is the month of, our, of the rosary yes. so where we really focus on that devotion yeah and then um, is it july is the month of Ju june is the month of the sacred heart that's um, it yeah yeah 
So we have the Feast of the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart during June. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically the liturgical year, I think, is a huge gift for us as Catholics because we are humans, mm-hmm. um, because we are material, and yeah. because we need, as Rachel was tell- like talking to me or saying to me earlier today, because we need reminders, because we need habits in anything, anything that we're doing. I think even before we even reach like a religious uh, idea, there is something that's really innate in us that needs both the kind of permanence and change. Mm. And uh, I'm going to put up another quote, which I think it's really funny at this point. Um, this podcast is essentially a really disjointed audiobook for this, the screw tape letters. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I am I'm aware that it's... We know your favourite topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am aware that we've quoted from it quite a bit. Luckily, this, this week's one is not as long as the last one. But I, I am still going to read out a quote. Um, so this is, again, for anyone who hasn't heard the previous ones, it's about a senior devil writing to a junior devil about how to tempt someone away from their path towards Christ. And so, written by C.S. Lewis. Written by C.S. Lewis. And so, everything that's coming from God is seen as coming from the enemy in, in the eyes of these devils. So, the quote is The humans live in time and experience reality successively. To experience much of it, therefore, they must experience many different things. In other words, they must experience change. And since they need change, the enemy, being a hedonist at heart, has made change pleasurable to them just as he has made eating pleasurable. But since he does not wish them to make change any more than eating an end in itself, he has balanced the love of change in them by a love of permanence. He has contrived to gratify both tastes together in the very world he has made, by that union of change and permanence which we call rhythm. He gives them the seasons, each season different, yet every year the same, so that spring is always felt as a novelty, yet always as the recurrence of an immemorial theme. He gives them in his church a spiritual year. They change from a fast to a feast, but it is the same feast as before. Now, just as we pick out and exaggerate the pleasure of eating to produce gluttony, so we pick out this natural pleasantness of change and twist it into a demand for absolute novelty. This demand is entirely our workmanship. If we neglect our duty, men will be not only contented, but transported by the mixed novelty and familiarity of snowdrops this January, sunrise this morning, plum pudding this Christmas. Children, until we have taught them better, will be perfectly happy with a seasonal round of games in which conquers succeed hopscotch as regularly as autumn follows summer. Only by our incessant efforts is the demand for infinite or unrhythmical change kept up. Yeah, and we see that in today's world, like everywhere around us, that people who live in routine, often humdrum, meaningless routine, Mm -hmm. look for things to celebrate, look for change, look for holidays. And we see how Christian holidays like Easter or Halloween or um, Christmas have been taken and turned into secular things, which, which is not a bad thing. But we really, as Catholics, I think, should kind of reclaim our own and... And not only reclaim those that the world celebrates, but celebrate the extras that we have. Because we have such a richness that, you know, people that are desperately looking for something to celebrate who come up with, as Kendra Tierney was saying, you know, international talk like a pirate day or... One of the ones I see really commonly now is that autumn seems to be its own celebration. Mm. Like, 
people go, oh, I can't, be- I, I can't believe it's autumn and I get to have my pumpkin spice latte <laughs> yeah, and yeah. cozy jumpers and all of these things. And it's almost like autumn itself is a celebration, yeah. which is kind of unachievable because there there is kind of nothing to like literally <laughs> to base celebrate. that in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's a pretty cozy time of year. Yeah, it's, it's my favourite season. <laughs> I, I, I like it too, but you do see this yeah. almost like feverishness about it. Yeah, like we must somehow embrace this kind of ethereal spirit that goes along with yeah with nature or the change of seasons. Yeah. And this it's kind of amusing as well because most of us aren't living in an agricultural world. Like most of us are so out of touch with nature. Yeah. Yet we almost have this intense desire to follow the seasons, like the physical, yeah. natural I, seasons. I remember finding it really funny. I was watching the film La La Land, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously set in LA, but they had they they were trying to evoke the sort of glamour of old Hollywood musicals, and they sort of paced the story over spring, summer, autumn, winter, and obviously spring was when the two people in it fell in love and like it progresses but it was set in LA so to me it was just really strange to have like they had to put up on the screen I haven't thought of that <laughs> they had to put up on the screen that it was autumn because otherwise you couldn't you had tell no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whereas you know I think we're more used to seeing it in New York where if you want to say it's autumn you just show like the outside yeah. shot <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I grew up part of my childhood in Texas, so I'm completely feeling you here. Yeah. Like, there wasn't much change. I remember when I was little feeling this, like feeling this intense yearning for the seasons. And I actually, okay, this is a bit strange, so take it with a grain of salt. But when I was really small, I used to get my sisters to um, do these things called the, the seasonal dances. This is so pagan. <laughs> <laughs> so much for liturgical living, guys. But we used to get like seasonal paraphernalia and go out to our dead front yard because there's always some drought going on so we can never have like green grass um which you you know you'd have to make an effort to have green grass anyway in texas but um, yeah so we used to go out i remember going out with like fake fall leaves Mm. and throwing them in the air and like twirling and i was telling my sisters to twirl like wind (laughs) and bring the season (laughs) They were like going along with it. We must have been like eight That's so and funny. five and I love three that. or something. But I think that actually ties into something really interesting because I was reading, um, I actually mentioned him in the last podcast, but Joseph Pieper, mm-hmm. he has a book called uh, In Tune with the World, A Theory of Festivity. Okay. And he was saying how uh, for a true <laughs> festival or festivity, it has to commemorate something real and specifically something that... Uh, kind of doesn't need any outward indicators so you know Easter is still Easter if nobody celebrated it Mm -hmm. Christmas would actually in a way still happen if everyone abandoned the idea and didn't celebrate it you Mm -hmm. know that um, because in the Catholic faith we're actually engaging with something that is real both happened in the past in time but continues to happen to us now in terms of the ongoing salvation history yeah and like with that i mean w- when you say celebrate i think you're probably talking about like the external celebrations yeah. because the church like we know the church will always be until the end of time and we know that as long as the church is we will always have the sacraments and we will always be celebrating in some way shape or form the mass mm-hmm. and the mass will always be be going on and that yeah. is I guess the center of liturgical living yeah because the mass is the actual real theologically like tangible 
yeah. being at these mysteries. So when you go to mass on Christmas morning or Christmas night, whatever you do, um, the moment of the consecration, you know, the moment of of Jesus becoming present there on the altar is the moment of the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. And you're yeah. there. Just as the moment of every single mass, uh, the the consecration of every single mass is the moment of the death of Christ on we, Calvary. We are brought into yeah. that moment. It's, we are outside of time. And that's yeah. insanely cool. Like, yeah. I mean, we're time travelers. We are. Um, and, okay, we might it, not smell the straw and we might not see the blood and nails, but... We don't see Jesus in the Eucharist either, you know, yeah. but he's there. That's what we believe. And I, th- I think that's one of the hardest um, aspects to convey to people who uh, don't, uh, haven't been informed in this way or like are outside of the this particular faith, which is that, uh, you know, I always love that line from Flannery O'Connor, especially, but she's talking about the Eucharist and she goes, if it's just a symbol to hell with it. Right. That like, uh, and in the point in the mass, it's not just, it's not just a case of saying, this is what happened. Um, it's a case of this is what we're redoing now. Like the priest is entering into the sacrifice that Jesus made at that time, but continues to make throughout all time. So it is actually happening in front of us, which is really hard to believe when it's, um, as usual for my case, 8am on a Tuesday morning. (laughs) Um, and you're about to head into work and you're just getting mass. So you're like, yeah, this is this is a sacred moment beyond time, but <laughs> Yeah, no, no. That's the thing. Like that's what our liturgical year does for us because we can't be living in a high, like a spiritual high or kind of like a mystical high all the time. No. Because we are creatures of habit and we're creatures of routine and like, I'm sure the apostles who were with Jesus every day, yeah. um, like, they weren't all the time like, oh my gosh, it's the Son of God. <laughs> like, you know, they were bickering and fighting and eating fish and, yeah. you know, like, cleaning their feet and doing whatever they had to do. But they, at the same time, they were there with the Son of God, you know, at all times. So, yeah. like, it's the same thing. Like, we, we can't constantly be intensely aware yeah. of the realities of our faith that we're living even though obviously we are trying to be more aware and that's what the liturgical celebrations do for us yeah. because they help us to remember that even in the midst of our daily life there is a higher reality and that higher reality is more real in a lot of ways than than what we're living than our realities our little case, lowercase realities um, and and along with that i think there's also uh, like you were saying about habit, there's the need to constantly realign our lives with the life that Christ carried out on earth and that uh, we need that constant reminder. And the thing that really strikes me is that Catholicism does this in so many ways. So like you said, you have have it with the year. We start the year with Advent. We're waiting for Christ to be born. We have Christmas. We move into Lent. We have his death and resurrection at Easter. But even throughout that, throughout the entire year, you're reading Gospels that are essentially in relative succession to each other. And so you're getting the narrative of Jesus throughout the whole year. Mm-hmm. And then even broken down within the Mass, in some ways, you have a microcosm of his life. You have him. We have the liturgy of the word at the start, which is the, the Old pre- Testament. The Old the Testament. For Christ. Yeah. But also, if you think about it, it's his ministry life. Right, yeah. He's sharing the word. And then in the second half of the Mass, we have the, the ministry of his death. And then, like, even within that, during, like, a, a daily basis, like, many of us pray the rosary, which, you know, which means every week you cycle through at least two cycles of 
the life of Christ. The life of Christ. <laughs> and so you have all of these microcosms that are like constantly bringing you back. And like when it's really apparent to me is that when you're in a specific season, so let's say you're in Advent, so obviously all the liturgy in terms of the masses and stuff is pointed towards Advent and the waiting for Christ and things like that. But if you're praying the, the rosary, you're still praying the sorrowful mysteries. Right. And in fact, you can have the sorrowful <clears throat> mysteries on Christmas Day. Right. And like, we're still going to Mass during Advent. We're still living the actual physical death and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. You know? It's like during Lent where we have the Sundays of Lent don't actually count in the 40 days of Lent. Yeah. Because they're meant to be mini Easter's. Yeah. So even though we're celebrating a time of penitence and death in a way, mm -hmm. you know, the death to ourselves and the preparation for the death and suffering of Christ. Yeah. We're still celebrating the fact that he rose. Yeah. Because... That's what the liturgical year is. It's it's all at the same time, even though as humans, we need to have it broken down and done in order mm -hmm. because that makes sense in our time or temporal concepts, you yeah. know, but at the same time, even when we're suffering, we're rising. And even when we're rising, we're suffering. Like, yeah. And even like, again, another contrast is when you can be going through a really hard time in a joyful season of the church. Right. Or you can be going through like a really high like a, a like a really great time and you're like well actually i'm supposed to be going to stations of the cross now or, you know, <laughs> but i feel like a million bucks <laughs> and that's okay uh, and so it just is about that kind of gentle reminder both ways that we we have hope and that there is also suffering and death and still in the valley of tears uh, so that we never get to that point where life is just a distraction or like we're trying to distract ourselves from what we're doing that it's about entering into the reality of our lives at all times and I think that's what the liturgy allows us to do is to see what's really happening and like we were saying earlier you know we live in so many whens and if I would or if this happens that so much of our experience of the world is waiting on contingent things and mm. that the liturgy calls us to look at the things that are actually happening which and is... that have actually already happened yes like the fact that when we are suffering we know that there is a resurrection when we are dying and i mm -hmm. mean physically dying yeah we know that jesus has already conquered death yeah even though we still have to go through death you know <laughs> like those things that that is that is so reassuring that is such a rock for us because it's not just a like an undefinable future it's not yeah. something that we're walking into the dark yeah you know, I, I think how incredibly terrifying slash just unnerving it must be to live without this meaning, to live without these realities, because what would you have? You would have your past, which may be not a pretty country, as they put it, or you may have your present. Hopefully you're living your present. But if not, yeah, I mean, nobody has their future. So what is it? What what are you living for? Yeah. Where are you living? Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. And I think introducing the seasons is so important. Like, that, isn't that in Ecclesiastes 3? I'm for everything, sure everything there is a season. Yeah, yeah. A season for growing, a season for dying, a season for welcoming, a season for um, saying goodbye. Yeah. Uh, the one that always sticks out in my mind is... A season, is it for gathering stones? And a season for throwing <laughs> I don't them? Know. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's... <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Uh, so hopefully you're not throwing them at anybody. <laughs> but maybe you're just playing poo sticks, you know, uh, with rocks. <laughs> so I think now that we've like kind of talked about what is a liturgical year yeah. and why it's important, uh, I guess the next big question is how? Yeah, and that is... 
I cannot recommend enough this book by Kendra Tierney, the Catholic All Year Compendium. If you want incredibly practical, and I mean down to what to have for dessert on which feast days, um, tips on how to make the liturgical year real for you and for your kids if you have kids, or for your friends if you have friends that are Catholic and want to be living in this way, then read this book because it gives you so many great and so many totally crazy ideas, which is a very cool part of being Catholic, I think, because we do have a very visceral, like a very like physical understanding of our faith. And we acknowledge the fact that it's okay to do very physical things to help us yeah. to, to remind us of spiritual realities. There's a really good quote in this book that I wanted to read that's actually taken from Pope Pius XI's encyclical Quas Primas, um, which is talking about why the church has established feast days. And we've talked about the liturgical year, which is maybe more, you know, talking about the mysteries of Christ's life and are living those mysteries. I mean, yeah, it also includes the a lot of days. the saints' days, right. you know? So basically the Pope is saying that feast days have a, a bigger impact than proclamations on the average person's life. Because you may know your church teaching. You may know that the church considers so-and-so a saint, or you may know that it is Advent time or it is Lent time, but it makes it more real for us as Catholics to have days or time set aside or customs or traditions. They don't have to be the same. The customs and the traditions are not the thing that makes it important. And in fact, I think what is really exciting and really helps reawaken your sense of how to live liturgically is to look at other cultures. Yeah, and um, that they can be completely different. Like, yeah. But they're still celebrating the same things. Yeah, um, that there is a like a Catholicism to it in that it's universal. Mm. Uh, and like in some ways I think it's underappreciated that everyone in the world, you know, in terms of the Catholic faith, everyone who belongs to this faith is celebrating at the same time. Yeah. Maybe in their own ways, but like you think the whole world is giving praise at the same time. Yeah. Uh, you know, you think of like the Corpus Christi parades and, you know, some of them are a bit meek or some of them are smaller in different places. Yeah. And then you look to somewhere like Mexico and it's crazy. Spain. And over the top. I remember going to one in Spain and they had lined the streets with mosaics made out of flower petals. Wow. <laughs> for the Eucharist to walk over. I was just kind of like, whoa. Oh, this is like, mind blowing. I have no idea how long it took, but like yeah. they had an entire street in Madrid yeah. that was covered and intricate flower petal mosaics. Yeah, and I once I once wrote an article which was on um, the different traditions around Little Christmas. Feast of the Epiphany. The right? Feast of the Epiphany, the 6th of January. Uh, in Ireland, it's called either Little Christmas or Women's Christmas because it was traditionally the day of the Christmas season where the women took off and didn't do any of the cooking or didn't do any of the work and got to have like a nice day for themselves. But there's all kinds of different celebrations oh, yeah. around that. I mean, that's the day in Spain again. I lived there for a few years, but that's the day they do presents in Spain yeah. because they don't do Santa Claus. They do the three kings who bring the presents. In, um, in some ways, I always think that actually Christmas is the time where it becomes most apparent of the different traditions because you have the Feast of St. Nicholas is where some mm -hmm. people get presents. The uh, Feast of St. Lucy is where some people get presents. Christmas Day is when some people get presents. The Feast of the Epiphany, you know, like... Yeah, we're so celebrating the yeah. fact that God gave himself as a gift to humankind. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we do presents. Yeah. You know, like, you will do presents if you're Catholic, <laughs> probably, if you can afford it anyway. Some kind of presents. Um, at Christmas time. Anyway, so here, back to the quote that I wanted to read. So this is Pius XI again. And he says, such pronouncements, he's talking about pronouncements of faith or doctrine, usually reach only a few and the more learned among the faithful. Feasts reach them all. 
The former speak but once, the latter speak every year, in fact forever. The church's teaching affects the mind primarily. Her feasts affect both mind and heart, and have a salutary effect upon the whole of man's nature. Man is composed of body and soul, and he needs these external festivities, so that the sacred rites, in all their beauty and variety, may stimulate him to drink more deeply of the fountain of God's teaching, that he may make it a part of himself and use it with profit for his spiritual life. And, I mean, I think that kind of sums up what we've been saying, that we're human. We need feasts. We need parties. We need fasts. Yeah, um, that's a big one. I feel like we... I always find it really funny when it comes around to Lent. I have quite a few friends who don't have any faith of, or they're uh, relatively secular, and they get really confused why... I would give up like maybe a certain type of food for Lent and they're like well why would God ask that of you or why why do you feel like you need to do that and I kind of usually answer like because I want to grow in holiness in some ways I look around and I see so many people dieting to fit into their their ideal they bikini. want to grow in beauty yeah. <laughs> yeah. physical beauty uh, I'm thinking and, about something inside you know that's that's not intrinsically disordered no. but pe- people can devote so much of their lives and so much of their mental space to focusing on improving craft. themselves yeah. in some way yeah. yeah and I you know my answer is what if I just want to make my soul better yeah. like is that is that not think, also a worthy project yeah I do think there is, especially here in Ireland I've noticed that people that don't share the faith do celebrate Lent, which is a little bit strange to me, yeah. but I do think there is something intrinsically human about wanting to deny oneself and recognizing the fact that denying oneself for something, for a reason, even if it's just to like grow in mastery over yourself, is a good thing. Yeah. And especially when um, it's done in its, its own season, like yeah. when it's not a constant thing, because yeah. I think most people wouldn't, you know, be tooting the horn for mortification for its own <laughs> sake nowadays That's but people true. do see like a lot of people that aren't catholic give up something for lent like i have completely secular friends yeah give up something for lent i agree i think that's I, in some ways that does give you a bit of hope and it yeah. gives you a sense but i also think that then on the flip side for catholics there's a danger to have it become too much like what secular people are doing oh, so yeah. um I, i've often talked about how i try to give up something that won't actually make me a better person if I give it up (laughs) that it's it's giving it up for the sake of giving it up in terms of Lent it's not oh this is my perfect chance you know do my whole 30 year start start my new diet which is not a bad thing either like obviously it comes down to the individual and the intentions of the individual like it's not bad to do something that will help your health no absolutely not but I can see why you can kind of say you know I want to make sure this is a Something that I'm really doing for the reasons yeah. of Lent, <laughs> not just you. It's it's not about killing two birds with the one stone. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but I there's definitely like a balance in there as well. Yeah. But I and and I'm kind of I'm looking forward to Lent this year. I don't know oh, what I'm gonna, I don't yeah. know what I'm going to give up yet. I always give up chocolate, but I I kind of just do that as a flat out because yeah. I always do it. Yeah. Um, and then I usually have to think of something else. Something else. But yeah, it, it's I think it's really interesting, but. In, I think what might be fun is to maybe give some suggestions of the things that we did or we do or particular like celebrations that are maybe particular to you or your family. Right. Um, Just because it it can be hard to feel like, especially for uh, me as a single person, uh, so much of the things are revolved around family life. Right. Uh, And so what are the practical ways that you can do it if you don't have that? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, And... Like, I mean, my daughter is only one and a half. So 
<laughs> I feel like I'm completely over the top at the moment. But I'm not. Like, I'm mean, that's just a feeling. Like, the liturgical year and celebrating these things are, are, is not just for children and for yeah. people who have children. And I have to remind myself that because sometimes I feel, you know, I'm making this huge effort to celebrate this feast day. And my daughter is going to have no idea why she's getting an exercise of cake. She's yeah. just going to eat her cake and be happy about it, you know? <laughs> but I'm hoping that, like, in the next few years, it will start to sink in that we have cake on special days and yeah. we do certain things on special days and it will be such a part of her life and her childhood that she can't imagine the liturgical year or her year without the liturgical celebrations that we do. And, like, Kendra Tierney has a lot of really good advice for people that are just starting out not to take on too much at once. Yeah. Because I think, like, I am very lucky, very blessed in a lot of ways because I grew up, I hate that. It's so, I'm so blessed. It's, like, such a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag blessed. <laughs> anyway, so I'm hashtag blessed because I grew up um, in a family. My mom was a liturgical boss. Like... <laughs> liturgical queen like mm-hmm. I can't even begin to tell you the things that we did when I was small the weird um slightly zany totally sometimes grotesque things that we did to celebrate our catholic faith like for example we once had an all saints day drink making competition where my mom and a few other moms of some of our friends got together like every ingredient you can possibly imagine Mm -hmm. like every fizzy drink every juice sprinkles marshmallows jelly beans like think about what a kid would want (laughs) and put that all on one table like savory sweet like everything and then they said there would be a prize for the child that came up with the most symbolic drink (laughs) it had to symbolize a saint So, like, we came out with, like, um, St. Michael's wings and, um, you know, St. Lawrence's skin and (laughs) just, like, really gross, weird stuff. But it was something that I'll never forget because it was just, like, I know, it was cool in a weird way, but, like, I'll never forget, like, picking through the saints in my head and trying to think of what could I do to make a saint drink, you know, like, um, what would I name it? And, and, and to do that, you have to know the saints and you have to have like an understanding of different saint stories. So Mm -hmm. that's something that my mom had already transmitted to us through reading lives of the saints and things on a regular basis. So like, there are lots of things that we did at home, um, that I'm hoping to do with our kids. But but even when I was going out with Ryan, like even when I was single as well, like there are things that I wanted to mark, not because we had children, obviously we didn't at that stage, um, but because they, I wanted them to matter. And it didn't matter if it was only, for example, on our lady's birthday, I remember one year we were going out, her birthday, we celebrated on September 8th. Because the feast day of the Immaculate Conception, which is yeah. when she was conceived, is December eighth. You know, people, nine months. It works people get out. really confused because they think the feast of the Immaculate Conception is it's the conception of Jesus, Jesus which is like, actually the Annunciation, the twenty fifth of March. Um, anyway, it's all great. You yeah, read Kendrick's book if you have doubts, <laughs> because she goes through everything and it's a really it, now it is based on United States Conference of Bishops kind of liturgical norms. So yeah. there are a few things that differ for different countries, like when certain feast days are celebrated. Sometimes changes according to the diocese that you live yeah. in. Or like in Ireland, maybe rather frustratingly, almost all feast days have just been shifted to the Sunday. Yeah, so and that happens a, a lot. Yeah, it's the Sunday countries. of its Ascension Thursday. Yeah, it's kind of like, what happened to Ascension Thursday? Anyway, um, yeah, so there are all those kind of slight discrepancies, but... 
you can look that stuff up online, like look up your actual, you one know, diocese where you One live. of the things that was most important to me growing up and that I've continued to do, um, I think it's relatively common for most Catholics to have what, I mean, in my house was called an altar, but it's essentially like a little prayer station. It's a table where we put a specific selection of like a statue and like our rosary beads are there. So you're kind of ready to go and like maybe some candles and things like that. Um, and my mom would always... Uh, change the decorations of that depending on the season so every uh, advent and lent she had like a little purple cloth that would come out and for lent she would have we would have like stones and make it kind of look desert like mini cacti that was one of Kendra Tears <laughs> I'm like totally on a hunt for mini cacti at the moment they're cute our miniature cacti they're, they're very cute really cute anyway keep going it was that particular table was in our dining room which is actually the room in my family home that we use the most because um, our house is quite cold and it has like a, a fireplace there so <laughs> everyone room. everyone congregates Just in the dining room. room and so you know you walk into our house and you can look at that table and know exactly what season you're in and kind of mirroring what was going on in your church because yeah, the exactly. vestments change exactly. what the priest wears and what the altar wears per se changes yeah. according to the season as exactly well. and yeah. so I, I now have my own little oh, pray, prayer table in our kind of living room slash sitting room and yeah and we still do that and Phoebe and I take extra effort to uh, particularly buy a bouquet of flowers for Mary like we try to keep the flowers pretty fresh all the time but specifically if it's a Marian feast day to go That's and a buy idea. a big bouquet of flowers for Mary you do get a lot of strange looks when you're sort of walking down the street with a big like load of roses or something and <laughs> someone's like oh she's yeah uh, she's, she's having a good lucky day girl. I, like, I bought these <laughs> yeah for another lucky lady <laughs> <laughs> um, for my mom okay? I, I, I get to enjoy them but they're not for me <laughs> But I, I really enjoy that. And, you know, and that's where the, the crib goes for Christmas. And mm-hmm. that's where the Advent candles go for Advent. Right. And so you have like a focal point, which is uh, which is reflecting the, the liturgical year. And um, with that, I've been trying to think of like how to, again, gradually build up. Because it's not like one year you're going to transform your life and be like, a liturgical boss like my mom was I don't know maybe she'd have been born like that I don't think so but anyway by the time I was old enough to be aware our house was pretty much liturgical like central yeah I'm thinking that what I'm gonna do like I said a little bit about what we were doing for Advent and Christmas in the first podcast kind of trying to really separate those two seasons but still celebrate both of them and live their full meaning but what I'm gonna do for every liturgical season each year is do a different like mini decoration yeah, or like something that we can have in our home that's a physical tangible reminder and this yeah. goes back to me being material because I've, I've got um <laughs> I've got bunting for almost every yeah yeah that's, 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 that was the first thing I started with so I did like lent bunting last year and I made this really cool lent circular like I like sewing and quilting and knitting and stuff and I know that's not everybody's cup of tea you can make this out of paper very easily I also like a lent I also calendar. Just... I just bought mine. <laughs> you can buy it. Exactly. You don't need to make it. Like, I, I do that because I love doing that kind of stuff. But um, we made, like, a little stone circle path, which is hilarious because I was like, oh, yeah, I'll make squares because that's so easy to sew, right? And my husband was like, why don't you make them into circles? Because that's so much more symbolic. They're, like, little stones for each of the days of Lent going towards the center. <laughs> I was like, 
Do you have any idea how hard it is to sew circle fabric pieces onto other pieces of fabric? And he's like, no, but it'd be cooler. I was like, I hate you, but I love you. <laughs> so yeah, I made a circular advent calendar or Lent calendar for us yeah. last year. And this year, like I'm going to do some Easter stuff because I don't yeah. have enough Easter decorations. You mentioned it earlier, but I think it's also important to not just make it a checklist of you yeah. have like, yeah, I know this much stuff to celebrate I, the season. Yeah, yeah. Or like I see a lot of like really great ideas <laughs> on things like Pinterest, but they're definitely yeah. not for every family like having 24 books that you read during Advent each Yeah, and you can overkill with your traditions as well. And then you take away from any of them, all of them, because you're trying so hard to do, like, 50 (laughs) of them. Advent's, like, a really bad time for that. And, like, I I feel so bad for parents, because I know that, like, Advent, you try to keep it not so busy, but it's always crazy. And so the idea of trying to maintain about 60 different traditions on top of that. Yeah, so, like, pick one. Yeah. Like, pick one for each different season that you're going to do. Like, one that I'm really excited about this year. This came from Kendra Tierney's book as well. See? You really need to read it. Um, <laughs> is the idea of, like, the Lent beans. Um, so, she, you can do this yourself. It's a little bit weird to do it for yourself. But, <laughs> but if you have kids, it works really well. So, you have, like, a jar in the middle of the table. And every time you do, you see a child doing something, like, sacrificial or good without being asked or told... They get to put a kidney bean into this pot. Mm-hmm. And then on um, the night, Easter night, um, or the night before Easter, the beans, however many beans are in there, are transformed into jelly beans. So the next 50 days of Easter, Easter tide, the kids, every time that you see them doing something good, the same thing, they get to eat one of those jelly beans. So it's kind of like <laughs> the idea of the transformation again. Um, I always think it's so interesting that um, I feel like we currently do all of this so badly so in some way I know we were saying about how especially in Ireland people do Lent but for the most part it's we definitely don't do the fasting like a a lot of Catholics don't bother with fasting which is such a shame because it is really important in fact like I mean Jesus talks about it a lot like pray and fast this sounds I'm in some ways I'm going to say it sounds stupid but it isn't stupid because I've actually read some you know renowned church thinkers who have written about this but it feels a bit silly to say but I remember I was going uh, I had a couple of weekends where I had religious things on and so I was going to have Eucharistic adoration throughout it and I made a conscious decision uh, not to eat so much because I had a couple of experiences where I was going to adoration and I just felt really full and like my physical experience was detracting from my ability to enter into prayer because really I, I was feeling really uncomfortable lethargic. yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like, Satan. <laughs> gluttonous it's just like, over, overly <laughs> full and like not not being able to think properly in, in my family we go to midnight mass in ireland it's often around like six eight, o'clock yeah 8 p.m yeah. uh but like midnight mass for uh, for christmas but also christmas morning obviously we've just had dinner before the midnight mass and again midnight in inverted commas but so I I remember being like I'm going to push to have dinner a little bit earlier just so that I have that that gap because fasting does allow us to detract from our bodily pleasures so that we can focus on the on the spiritual it's like our posture and prayer you know yeah exactly uh, yeah, because I've had some knee injuries, so I can't always kneel. kneel yeah. And, you know, I have very loving people around me who always try to remind me not to kneel because it can of course, it be, yeah, be it's painful. It's completely dependent on but, your state. Um, but my point is, is that it's frustrating for me because it would be easier to pray if I could kneel. Yeah, and sometimes it's the opposite. Like, yeah. I've had moments, like you said, when you're in physical duress in some way. Yeah. Like when I was pregnant with Mariel, that 
kneeling was not an option yeah, at yeah. a certain stage. Yeah. Like, I wasn't going to be praying. I was going to be, like, falling off the edge of the But view, you, you know? have to admit, when you're just sitting in a chair... It's different from when you're putting your body in a position of openness and subjugation to God. Because yeah. that's what you're doing when you kneel down. Like, you're saying, I am all here. Yeah. yeah. But in some ways, I think we can focus on the fact that we don't... Like, there's so much consumerism and I don't just mean in terms of buying things but like in terms of consuming things and consuming yeah. media and consuming food and consuming information that there's so much consumption going on that there's not really a fasting but we also seem to want to end the festivity as quickly as possible yeah. so Christmas is supposed to in in our modern society and especially just at New Year's if not before yeah uh, I know in America Lots of people take down their Christmas decorations for Stephen's Day. Right. Which just seems bizarre to me. Whereas we only just recently took down our Christmas decorations. <laughs> Wait, what? Christmas decorations? <laughs> I'm um, supposed to be down. <laughs> but the... Or even uh, what you were saying about the beans reminded me that the, the feasting of Easter is meant to continue to Pentecost. So you have 40 days of fasting. And 50 days of partying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I no, love the church. <laughs> but, but nobody actually does that. Does like, that. who here is like, oh, it's the Easter season. I'm going to treat myself. Like, I don't do that. And like, even, you know, that book I was talking about with Joseph Pieper about yeah. Intuitive Festivity. He kind of, it's interesting. He actually... Uh, bases a lot of it on both the thinking but uh, like uses it as a foil to what he's saying is the writings of Nietzsche and one of Nietzsche's quotes is that the trick is not to arrange a festival but to find people who could enjoy it Um, which is really interesting because I think in some ways because we have so much consumption like I said that you have to, in some ways, curtail the feasting because it's almost too much. Yeah, and and we don't know how to be. We don't know how to just be together and enjoy ourselves. And we have to have activities planned. And Okay, when you have small children, you need activities planned. But, <laughs> but at the same time, you also need the activities that celebrate. You need the balance. You absolutely need both. You need the fasting and you need the feasting. Yeah. And... Anyone who thinks that Catholicism is the same thing as Puritanism is just wrong. Like, yeah. I mean, the Look amount at- the amount of feast days and exemptions from fast days and days of intense celebration that the church offers us, even when we're celebrating things like the martyrdom of saints, you know, like we still celebrate those days because we're talking about the ultimate victory you know yeah Um, and I think it's interesting I in some ways I do see people you see people going to parties and getting all glammed up and stuff like that but I also feel like there is a fear of pretentiousness in some ways that people don't like like let's say you were saying that every Sunday is a mini Easter and in many ways in the past we would have gotten dressed up for mass yeah or had your Sunday brunch which is something we've started trying to do as well And, and in some ways, particularly in Ireland, there's that kind of idea of notions that like yeah. getting dressed up and like putting on a suit or putting on a nice dress that like it's drawing attention it's too to yourself. Fancy. You know, you only um, wear suits at weddings and, and funerals nowadays. It, it reminds me that there's uh, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a preface to Paradise Lost, and he's got this really interesting section on pomp, which I think uh, if once we get to do a episode on, uh, we're talking about like liturgical living, but maybe another one about litur- liturgy within the mass Mm -hmm. um it would probably be uh, more relevant to kind of go into it then but there's just like a small bit that i want to say he says in an age when everyone puts on his oldest clothes to be happy in you must reawake the simpler state of mind in which people put on gold and scarlet to be happy in 
That's beautiful. And that's something that I actually find myself often feeling insecure about being overdressed or something or about not wanting to be overdressed or not wanting to be too fancy because, you know, you don't want to be that person that's, like, totally dolled up. You know, know, and even if it's something like Christmas mass or Easter mass or or something, I feel like, oh, I can go this far, but I'm not going to go that far because... It's not a wedding. It's not a funeral. But like, but I think I think the difference is is that when it's not about us, yeah, it's about giving due praise to God. Yeah, then we in can, our physical then, then we can lose that self consciousness right. and actually like be extroverted about it and say, well, I'm not getting dressed because I'm important. I'm getting dressed up because God's important. Right, and with that, there's nothing too crazy to do to live liturgically like there's nothing that is too weird or too like (laughs) like out there I'm I'm pretty sure I mean obviously there's like heresy and stuff like that but like I mean from the point of view of like if if you have an idea of something that means something to you um you know okay this is like not really a feast well it's not really it's not a feast day at all but obviously we celebrate our birthdays right because our birthdays are a day that we kind of celebrate the fact that we exist and give thanks to God for existing and our friends give thanks to God that we exist and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. And we have a party and cake and presents and everything. And that's something we share with everybody. Everybody pretty much celebrates birthdays, at least in our culture. But something that I like to do on my birthday, this is going to sound weird, is go to a graveyard. Um, mm-hmm. Because for me, that's a really important part of celebrating my birthday, remembering what I'm here for. Yeah. And not that, that is not to say I'm here to die in the sense of I'm here to be buried in a grave somewhere, but I am, I am marking another year on my path towards eternity. But I think that's a really important point that I was going to make, which is that when we make festivities about ourselves, they lose all meaning that it's, it just becomes like a, a vacuum Yeah. that, and I think that's where we can see, we can be uncomfortable when we see some, examples of celebrations of birthdays because it's so self-involved in a way and that's not to say that you shouldn't love yourself or shouldn't uh, cherish yourself but actually gk chesterton has a really great quote about it which is um the first fact about the celebration of a birthday is that it is a way of affirming defiantly even flamboyantly that is it is a good thing to be alive but there is a second fact about birthdays and the birth song of all creation a fact which really follows on from this but which as it seems to me in the other school of thought almost refuses to recognize the point of the fact is simply that it is a fact in being glad about my birthday i am being glad about something which I did not myself bring about. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I I am here not through my merits or my choice. I am here because God put me here. And yeah. My parents chose life and <laughs> yes. welcomed me into the world. And in my family, we always go to Mass on our birthdays. Yeah. Now, my birthday is actually on a solemnity, so <laughs> you have to go to Mass yeah. anyway, so that's it. That, that makes it nice and easy. The 15th of August, right? The <laughs> yeah. assumption. Yeah. yeah. Sure, uh, Rachel's birthday is the day before my birthday. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're kind of birthday buddies. But even, you know, the other members of my family, they aren't on solemnities, but we always go to Mass on our birthdays because... Uh, we are there to be celebrated, but beyond that, we are there to thank God right. for our own being. Yeah. And that, in a way, it does go beyond us, and that it, it's not just about us. In a sense, it's almost a part. It can be seen as part of a liturgical year, in the, in the yeah. true sense, if you're if you're living it in that way. Um, because it's an outward day of celebration, to celebrate something that is a gift from God, and yeah. that is is 
intimately tied into our existence and our our like our eternal existence as yeah. well. Uh, the thing that I was gonna kind of go in a little bit deeper is the the way that modern life wants to cling to these traditions but also doesn't want to enter into the sacramentality of it and the thing I see it most is in either at Easter or at Christmas when people sort of wheel out the old did you know that actually Christmas trees were celebrating Saturnalia or whatever Um, (laughs) Easter is a pagan festival yeah Uh, (laughs) St. Bridget is actually a Celtic goddess (laughs) you're like yeah she was a Celtic goddess until St. Bridget who bore her name was born and now we celebrate her feast day or my my personal favorite is that there's two ones around easter there's the the question around the etymology of the word easter which right. is quite confusing but there, there's another one which crops up where people try to say that emperor constantine refashioned the celebration of an egyptian goddess called ishtar who was a goddess of like fertility and they, they were like and ishtar sounds like easter and i was like mm, that's why constantine <laughs> called his celebration pascha <laughs> Yeah, not every not every person speaks English, my friends. Nor have they um, always spoken English. They kind of frustrate me and they kind of make me laugh because a lot of them are inaccurate. Although some of them aren't. Some of them. I aren't. mean, the church has always had a tradition of taking pagan celebrations well, and Christianizing them as well. I think to me, it's Tolkien who put it best, and I don't necessarily have an exact quote on this. But I know when he had that long conversation with C.S. Lewis, and that kind of led him in the path to conversion. He was talking about how you know, God created creation. And so every part of it is sort of breaking at the seams, trying to exclaim the truth. And so, of course, throughout history, there's prefigurations. There's there's examples of societies trying to express the truth of reality, but without having the salvific knowledge of Jesus. And so, of course, there are elements that are in pagan cultures, which had a truth in them and so from a christian and a catholic point of view at the time when christianity was being spread it's not even so much about co-opting or what we might call like cultural appropriation at this point in time (laughs) but it's more about that there was a discernment of what is good and what can express a truth about jesus and so it's not about saying like oh well it used to mean this thing and we've changed it to mean this thing it's more about saying that the truth that it was trying to express in this particular practice or this particular ritual reaches its fulfillment if you express it towards Christ. Right. And like, I mean, even in the academic world, that's something that has been acknowledged. And I know like his ideological problems and things, but I I just thought of the author Joseph Campbell with his Mm -hmm. ideas of mythology when you're speaking there like the idea he wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces yeah another called The Power of Myth that I was um doing a lot of work with when I was in college but I think that's that's true that myth and story have their fulfillment in Christianity and Mm -hmm. there are common threads and archetypes that run through myth and story and pagan religions um Mm -hmm. and all religions, if you look at them, yeah. Um, to, I mean, I'm not saying all religions are the same, or they all have you know equal truth values. No, but I'm saying that they can all be prefigurements of our truth, which yeah. we know is the truth. Because um, it's not that they're the same, but that they Jesus come from Christ, humanity, which and Jesus all Christ is the same. And it's is the maker. fulfillment. So <laughs> right. they're, they're, in a way, there's a lack that Jesus fulfills. Yeah, and like fills up. Yeah, uh, just as he fulfilled the the old covenant of the Jews. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, 
But, you know, that's a whole another interesting conversation for another but, day. Yeah, but <laughs> I still, it still makes me laugh because people sort of, like, especially online, they try and throw so it in trendy, your... It's isn't it? Yeah, you know, to like, throw it in your face. and actually like, pagan. And, and Christian just took everything and, and made you're it like, is this, is this supposed to intimidate me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll just keep putting on my Christmas and tree. Like, I mean, <laughs> if you look at our faith in different countries and cultures and things, like, God and Our Lady are the, the first to take elements of other cultures like i think of our lady of guadalupe i was just gonna who say did that. she appear did she appear as you know that was that is the one image that we have that is given to us mm-hmm. by god i mean the story is amazing if you read it yeah. but the the image of our lady of guadalupe appeared miraculously on the tilma that a mexican peasant was wearing he didn't even know was on there until he opened it up to show some roses to the bishop that who had been asking for a sign that this apparition was true. But she appeared as an Aztec princess, like as uh, not quite. I'm I'm sure there's more subtleties to it that I don't know because I'm not a scholar of the time. But all of the symbols in that image are taken straight out of Aztec religion and mythology and culture. Yeah, and that was Our Lady adapting to the people. The I- I, and I think she's of mixed race as well. So it shows kind of like that there can be reconciliation between Spaniards that came in and the indigenous peoples that were there already. Yeah. Just a beautiful image. There's also a lot of like cool, miraculous stuff about it. So I recommend going and reading her stuff. But um, Our Lady of Guadalupe always blows my mind. Yeah. Like every time I come back to it, I'm like, I can't believe that's real. Like you can go and see that. Yeah. And like there's things like the actual image is not on the fabric. Yeah. It's like a millimeter or something in front of the fabric. And it's it's like the the whatever paint it's not paint but whatever is used to make the image isn't in the fabric fibers yeah and like there's things like it's the body temperature of a human being um Uh, it's it's been there for over 500 years and this is fabric made out of a plant um that would have disintegrated within 30 yeah there are just Um, there that's one of the things that just no one has any explanation yeah i mean if if you need like a miraculous proof of catholicism (laughs) check out our lady of guadalupe the constellations on her cloak are of the night that she appeared like she's got stars all over her cape yeah and they're the exact constellations of the night sky in that part of the world like what artist of that time, <laughs> what forger could have done that? You know, but like, that also uh, anyway. ties in. I remember being at secondary school and having someone I knew. She would ask the same question over and again. Like, and it's it's such a thing that gets replicated online now that you can answer it and then like a week later someone will just repeat their question again because they haven't actually taken on board what you said. But she would always ask like. Why is it in pictures Jesus is always white and looks Western when he was Middle Eastern? Now, I agree. There is actually an issue when people only associate Jesus with this idea of like white, white supremacy pro- and white propriety. And I like, mean, like Christianity throughout like colonial eras and stuff did have a lot of problems in yeah, that respect. Abs- but yeah. Absolutely. But my point is that it's perfectly fine for the images of Jesus and Our Lady to reflect the culture that you're in. There yeah. are incredible pictures of Our Lady in Japan and she looks yeah. Japanese or in Africa and she looks African and the same with Jesus, that it's right and fitting to express them in the ways that you're most familiar with them they're, because yeah. they're supposed to feel familiar to you. Right. They are your family. They are closer than your family. They're closer than any other person will be to you. So if that means to, like expressing it in a particular way, that that's that's a legitimate way to express it. Yeah, we now, don't have any actual photographs other than 
you know, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which isn't a photograph. But you don't have any actual images <laughs> yeah. of Jesus and Mary, except for maybe the Shroud of Turin, but you don't right. have, like, skin coloring pigmentation. But, like, even even within that, you know, they don't have to look historical right. if, if you want oh, to yeah, express yeah. them in a particular way. And like I said, that is not to say that, like, people can uh, react with shock and horror when you remind them that actually Jesus was living in the Middle East. and would Yeah, <laughs> and, like, even things like the dates of liturgical feast days and things, yeah. like... Those don't, because they all fit into one year, we don't know the actual date of Jesus' baptism in Jordan. Like, yeah. we don't even know that Christmas was actually on the 25th. I actually think I read something recently which was doing a really thorough job of arguing for that yeah. kind of date. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it wasn't, but I'm saying that's not the important but, thing. Exactly. So, like, if someone said, actually, we can definitively prove a date that Jesus was born, it wouldn't shatter my ability to enter into Christmas. Or my ability to live the liturgical year. Yeah. Because, because the Mass is almost like this time portal that allows us to enter into the mystery of Christ's life. All of Christ, because yeah. Christ in the Eucharist is Christ yesterday, today, and forever. It's Christ in every moment that Christ is, which is always. Yeah. So therefore, who cares what time it is? You know, obviously we care because we're human and we need yeah. to have this progression in this cycle. Yeah. And it makes sense. But like I said, the Our Lady's birthday is nine months after her conception. The yeah. days we celebrate make sense. Like, yeah. you're not stupid but <laughs> <laughs> yeah do a birthday cake for mary's birthday that's what we do and that's oh, awesome really? yeah as many chances as you get to make birthday cake that's what i'm all about <laughs> do you like like rachel is saying about clothing yourself in certain ways for feast days yeah or, like wearing liturgical colors I, on gaudete sunday my friend was staying with me and phoebe the, and this I'm... is the sunday inside of the advent that the priest wears pink pink yeah. rose you know um, um, to I celebrate mean... that we're, we're getting closer to jesus's birth so we're getting yeah. happier but i almost wore head to toe pink like pink trousers and pink pink shirts I did did just go with the pink shirt but I made sure everyone was wearing pink pink. I was like this is is an important day can I say something when I I was in college I heard the story of one of the priests in my home diocese of Marquette Michigan um, had this thing where he would wear like his full clergy outfit he worked in a high school and he would wear different colored cons, like Converse shoes, <laughs> according to the liturgical season. That's amazing. And I was like, that is the coolest thing ever. And so I, in my head, was like, I'm doing that. So I went out and bought myself purple cons because we're coming up to Lent. And I decorated them Lentenly, and I was like the weirdest person in my college. But I had purple cons, I got Easter cons, and I painted like um, lilies on the front and suck buttons on the sides. And then by the time I got to ordinary time, I couldn't afford green cons. <laughs> so that idea burned. <laughs> if you if you are wealthy and would like to invest in liturgical shoe wear, <laughs> you go can, for it. Yeah. No, that's just a bit over the top. I, I recognize that. <laughs> as much fun as we're having, in theme with the fact that we must have openings and closings and endings <laughs> and beginnings, I think we are coming to the end of this podcast, yeah, yeah. which means we have one last question to ask. And I'm sort of panicking on the inside because we're actually recording this podcast quite soon after we recorded the last one. So I'm desperately trying to think of something new that I've I've started enjoying since the last <laughs> one. So I'm going to ask Maria to go first. What have you been enjoying? Well, I enjoyed my cup of biscuit tea that Rachel just gave me. See, it's we're getting... tea that tastes like biscuits. <laughs> I, was, I was saying to Maria that she clearly didn't listen to the previous episode. <laughs> no, I know. With me and Phoebe. I blame the one and a half year old. <laughs> Completely and totally. Our... Also the fact that I've just figured out how to knit Fair Isle. Okay, which, that's exciting. Okay, and so, yeah. So basically, I have since like in the last week and a half, knitted a Fair Isle baby vest. 
mm-hmm. a fair isle bunny cardigan for my daughter to be mm-hmm. liturgical this Easter. And I'm currently designing a fair isle tree of Gondor baby vest. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the nerd in me is fully fully satisfied right now. Um, That's amazing. And the crafter in me. So if anyone wants to place an order, no, just kidding. I'm not selling them. <laughs> it's way too much work. <laughs> but that's what I've been enjoying. So it's, it's, cool. I've also been enjoying my book by Kendra Tierney. There so go. go and get a copy today. I think, I think I'm going to have an even uh, kind of stranger thing that I'm enjoying at go the moment. Go for it. Which is that in the spirit of the secular new year, I've taken up some good habits and so what I'm enjoying at the moment is the two functions on my phone. One is the bedtime function, which <laughs> gives me an alarm the hour before I should go to bed and then automatically puts my phone on do not disturb once it's bedtime. That is so um, smart. And also, I will say, if anyone has an iPhone and, like me, found that all of the alarm ringtones are really annoying, if you switch to the bedtime version, they have really nice ones. <laughs> so, so my alarm, like the little like noise I'm hoping for like pastoral church bells or cowbells literally or like really? they have like really nice piano ones it's really, uh, so it's so much better than listening to um, so that and the ability to limit screen time um, yeah. both of those I'm really enjoying because yeah, your blood pressure doesn't go up by reading Facebook <laughs> articles when you're lying in bed yeah well <laughs> that's, that's actually really I'm, good in terms of like like we're saying at times like carving out times in the day trying to restrict my bedtime to either reading or sleeping has been really really beneficial to me so that's what I'm enjoying at the moment I don't know <laughs> I love it <laughs> so check out the clock app on your <laughs> <laughs> and learn to fair eye on it you will never regret it (laughs) oh the other thing i was going to say is yes if you are enjoying these podcasts please do leave a review rate us uh, on itunes i'm (laughs) I'm being really like apple centric at the moment no um but any world out there that's not apple i know absolutely so anywhere that you're listening if you can leave if there's comments leave comments if there's uh, a way to give a rating please do it really helps other people find this podcast and it gives us a little bit of an ego boost which is always <laughs> very <nice>. very important <laughs> um, so now that we've covered all of that i think we better say goodbye this has been risking enchantment music by kevin mcleod you can follow me on instagram and twitter with the handle at Seeking Watson. And you can find out more about me and the podcast at rachelsherlock.com. Thank you and God bless. Mm-hmm.